You're listening to a live service from Faith Worship Center, Porsche, Arkansas. Philippians chapter number three. And we're going to look at one verse and, and one verse only. Chapter three and verse number 10. It's good to have all of you here. We thank you so much for coming and being faithful to the house of the Lord. We've got a good looking crowd. And it's a good looking crowd because you're in it. Amen. Everybody says amen to that. I made y'all look good this morning. <laughs> so we're glad that you're here. We're thankful that you came to the house of the Lord. And I, I know I say it often, but I mean it with all of my heart. Uh, to our visitors that may be here this morning, there's not another church that exists that is more honored to have you this morning than what Faith Worship Center is. And so thank you so much for coming and being here today. Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 10. The Bible says, Paul talking here, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. I want to read it again. I want you to think about it. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. I want to minister for just a moment. It's not where I intended to be, but the Lord brought me back here yesterday sometime, and uh, I feel I would be wrong if I went anywhere else. So I want to minister for just a moment on this thought, conformed unto his death. Conformed unto his death. As a believer, we ought to want to know Christ, and we ought to want to be conformed unto his death. So that's what I want to minister this morning. Will you bow your head and will you help me pray that God would help us to minister today? Father, we love you today and we thank you, God, for your grace, for your mercy, and for your love. And we thank you for every individual, every family that is represented here today, God. These are your people, Lord, that you died for on the cross of Calvary. And Lord, I know that you've got something special for them today. I know that you've got a plan for their life. I pray today that you would open our ears, that we may hear, hear the word of God. And I pray that you would open our hearts to receive and anoint my lips, God, to deliver your already anointed word. And Lord, for everything that is said and done, I'll be very careful to give you the praise, the glory, and the honor in the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody says, amen. Well, I single out this text today, hoping to leave a thought in your mind, a thought in your spirit to think about. I always want to give you something that you can take home, something that you can apply to your life. And if I don't do that, well, I've wasted your time and I've wasted my time. But I hope to leave this thought in your heart, the desire to not just know Christ because it's separated here. It's, a, it's another thought, not to just know Christ, but to be made conformable unto his death, to, to be made conformable or fashioned unto his death. There are many in this world, and as for an introduction, I, I want you to think about some, just some general truths. And of course, we point nobody out, but some things that we need to think about. There are many in the world today, and you've run across them also, you've seen them, you've met them, that know who Jesus is, but they don't really know Him. Is that all right? They know who Jesus is as the Son of God, as the Savior of the world, but they don't really know Him. You see, I can know who, uh, I've just pulling out of the top of my hat here. I can know who John Wayne is, but I don't really know him. And there are many that know who Jesus is, but they don't really know him in the way that the Apostle Paul is talking about. There's many that have, I believe with all of my heart, 
believed upon the Lord. They have with a repentant heart, they have accepted Christ as their Savior, their personal Savior, asking to forgive them of their sins. But they don't really want Christ to work in their life. See, that's a completely separate deal. Accept Him as Savior because, let me just be blunt, because of maybe a fear, I don't want to go to hell. But I, I don't want to go to hell, and I'm just speaking as general a church world as a whole, I don't want to go to hell, but I don't want to live for Christ either. I'm preaching good. I don't want to go to hell, but I want to still live however I want to live. I don't want to be uh, conformed to the teaching of the Bible. I don't want holiness in my life. I don't want to be changed. I want to live like I want to live, but I sure don't want to die and go to hell. Many that want eternal life, they want salvation, but the greatest majority do not want what Christ wants for them now. In other words, we want salvation, but we don't want God's will for our specific life. I'm going to be blunt. I want to go to church. I want to be a part. I want to sing the songs. I want to clap louder than my neighbor. But I don't really want to be changed Monday through Saturday. Because my friends, they don't think I fit in if I am somebody that loves Jesus. The people I work with, they won't, they won't accept me as well if I don't laugh at their filthy jokes. I'm preaching good. It's real good when it gets quiet. I want to do what I want to do, but I don't want to die and go to a devil's hell. And that's not what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. Paul says, I want to know him. And to know him is not a head knowledge of who Jesus is. It's not a head knowledge as Jesus is the Savior of the world. It's an experiential knowledge that we have experienced the Lord uh, for ourselves. Jesus died, and yes, He died to give eternal life. But He also died that we may be a witness for Him being transformed into His image. By allowing Him to work in our life, by allowing the person of the Holy Spirit to change us on a daily basis. I know we sang it a lot, and we sang it earlier but Jesus on the inside, working on the outside. Oh, what a change in my life. And so, in fact, I want to tell you this. The evidence that we have accepted Jesus as Savior is that little by little, we are becoming Christ-like. The evidence that we've accepted Him as Savior is that little by little, we are becoming Christ-like. Well, I know who He is. Are you becoming Christ-like? Well, I don't want to die and go to hell. Are you becoming Christ-like? Well, I'm going to church. Are you becoming Christ-like? There are, I don't mean this in an unkind way. Church is important. You should be faithful to the house of God. You should be faithful now more than ever before. Because you're only in church if you come Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, maybe four to five hours a day, and you're in the world the rest of the time that week. Don't tell me your faith is so strong that you don't need a little help with the edifying of your faith. We ought to be in church. We need to be in the house of the Lord. But I want to tell you, there are many that are in a church house that does not want to be conformed to Christ. I'm being blunt, but I'm being kind. Many that will go into a church on Sunday morning, come and sit with their mind made up. I don't care what is sung. I don't care what is preached. I'm not going to be any different when I leave. I just want to do my do by going to church. That's not the way that we should be. So here's a good question, and I'll move on. This is the hard stuff. I'll move on. I'll get to some shouting stuff in a minute. Here's a good question. 
It's a heart question that you need to ask yourself. Just ask yourself, and nobody needs to blurt out an answer. You might not want to blurt it out anyway. You say you are a Christian. Are you being changed? You say you're a believer. Are you being changed? He come in to take up residence, to stay. And while he's there, he's going to clean some things up. So if he came in, I got I to gotta, I gotta just acknowledge that he's there to clean some things up. So you say you're a believer? Are you being changed? Are you being transformed into the image of Christ? Because that's the evidence. Can we go back to verse number 10? He says this, that I may know him. That was his most important thing. That I may know him, or the way that, that's the way he started out this verse. The question that I want you to take home is, by the end of the service, is have I been conformed unto his death? But I can't overlook the first part of this scripture, the request. That I may know him means that I have known Christ and then experienced him an experiential way. I have my heart, my spirit, has been pricked by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I want you to know, we're serving Jesus that I've never seen with my, with my mortal eyes. I've never touched Him with my senses. I've never sat and walked with Him in the flesh. We're serving a God that has already went back, ascended to the, to the heavens, and, and, and sits at the right hand of the Father. So, I'm serving a God that within the natural I've never seen, but I want to know, even with that, have you experienced Him in the Spirit? Have you had a true divine experience with the Lord? Have you had a visitation of the Holy Spirit that has changed your heart and your life forever? Because I'm convinced this morning, if you've ever had one true divine touch from the Lord, you will never be able to get that out of your heart. You may live in a rebellious life. You may go and and not live for God, but you will never forget the touch that the Lord had upon your heart. Nobody has ever had yet had a desire to be conformed without first having an experience with Christ that I may know Him first and then be conformed unto His death. I want to know Him. That's what His cry is and that's what His prayer. And of a truth, God desires to reveal Himself to every individual, to every person without a doubt. Listen, I don't care who you are. I don't care where you've been. I don't care what you've done. And when I say I don't care, what I mean by that is this. I don't care. God loves you. He died for you. It doesn't matter what you've done. He has died on the cross to save you from your sin and to change your life this morning. doesn't matter who you are. And without a doubt, He wants to have an encounter with you and experience with Jesus. And that experience that He wants to have with your individual life will filter on to the public. But unless we let God do something on us on the inside in private... then that experience, that experience will never make us a witness that God called us to be. I want to recall a few things. I know this is different maybe, but I want to recall a few things. Abraham comes on to the scene, Genesis chapter 12. He's separated from his father, called to another land. He's a stranger in the land where he, that God led him into. 
When he got there, listen, he separated himself from his family. When he got there, God said, I want to make you a father of many nations. A father of many nations. Abraham served the Lord. When I I don't have time, the time would fail me to go through every single detail. But Abraham would serve the Lord. He would serve God until God finally at the age of 100, his wife at the age of 90, even though they would go through a period, they even laughed at God when God said, look, I haven't forgotten my promise. He says, I, my body is past uh, being able to produce a child. My wife's womb is now dead and you're still reminding me of a promise. And God said, yes, I am going to bring forth a promise unto you. And then God done it. I want you to know that after God gave him that promise, the day came that he said, now, you take Isaac and you offer him up as a sacrifice to me. I want you to understand something. We know that this father, this dad, marched his only son up on the mountain. He did bind him like God told him to do. And he was prepared to take his life, believing that God would raise him up. Now listen to what I'm about to say. For a man to take his child and prepare him for a sacrifice, God had to do something in his life where he experienced him and believed him with Without a shadow of a doubt. He had to have an experience with God. That caused him to keep going. Job. Sitting in sackcloth and ashes. Scraping bulls off of his his skin. Lost everything that he had in a matter of one day. Lost his friends, his goods, his animals, his crop. His own wife was saying, why don't you curse God and die? His friends turned his back upon him. He's all alone. And he looks up to the heaven and said, I know that my Redeemer lives. Listen, Job had to have a true divine experience with God or he would have turned his back upon him. To know Him. To know Him. I move on this morning. David, a little shepherd boy that his father overlooked, didn't even bring him in the lineup when Samuel came to pick a king. What they didn't know about David is he's having visitations of the Holy Spirit. And while he's having visitations of the Holy Spirit, God's moving upon him and He calls him to be the next king of Israel. When he came in, brought him in, God said, Samuel, that's the one. Tell him to rise up, take your horn of oil, and anoint him. And then he anoints him as king. One day he would come into the city. Goliath, a Philistine, is cursing the the armies of God, defying the armies of God. And David, I know I'm rushing through it, but David says, I'll fight that guy. I'll fight him. We learned something about David we didn't know. All of a sudden, when he gets on a one-on-one conversation with Saul, he walks into Saul's chambers. He's having a one-on-one conversation. We don't find it in Scripture nowhere else. But all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit instructs the writer to tell us about it. He tells Saul something that we didn't know. He said, Saul... There was a time a lion came into my father's herd and he took a baby lamb and I killed that lion with my bare hands. Uh, There was also another time that a bear came. I grabbed that bear by the beard. I took that lamb out of his mouth. uh, And I want you to know the same God that delivered me out of the lion and the bear. He will all give me Goliath today. I will bring back his head. We didn't know about the bear. We didn't know about the lion. What was going on? God was giving him an experience that would make him know that he knew that God was God and besides him there was not another. He was having an experience with the Lord one-on-one that we knew nothing about. Three Hebrew children, what in the world would make them stand up 
When they begin to play their music and say, you'll bow or we'll throw you in the fiery furnace. And they stood there and they never bowed. Let me tell you what made them not bow. Because while they were alone, they had an experience and God made Himself real to them. And they knew that without a doubt that God would remain faithful and never fail them. So they stood there and said, He's able to deliver me. But even if He don't, I will not bow down to your golden image. To know Him. Experiential knowledge. To know Him. Ruth. A Moabite. Knew nothing. Naomi and her family moves in. To Moab. They come there. While they're there, her, her old family dies. Ruth's husband dies. Naomi said, I return to my people. Orpah and Ruth was there, her sister, her daughter-in-laws. Go back to your people. Orpah kissed her and headed out. Said, Ruth, go back. She said, no, I won't go back. Your God will be my God. And your people will be my people. She said, go back. I can't have another son. I can't raise you up. I don't care. I will not leave you. I'm going where you go. You know what happened? Somewhere along the line... Ruth had an experience with the God of Naomi. She saw something that said, hey, you know what? Whatever Naomi's going back to is a whole lot better than what I've got in Moab. I'm not going to leave, leave her. I'm following her back, uh, and I'm going to serve her God. Uh, she hadn't even been in, the, in her country yet. She'd never been in her land, but she made up her mind, I will go with Naomi, and I will serve her God. Ruth had an experience with God that we didn't know anything about. I want you to know today, and i got to move on. My time fails me, but I look around, and I know the others that's had an experience with God that has forever changed the course of your life. God has done something in your heart that caused you to fall in love with Jesus, and you'll never deny Him or never be able to run away. Yes, there are times we want to give up. Yes, there's times you may want to throw in the towel. Yes, there are questions like, is it even worth it? But the truth of the matter is, the anchor of Christ still holds in the depths of the heart that has experienced the Lord for themselves. I remember myself, I was raised in the best home and the best churches under the best pastors that there ever was, but there was a period of time that I was doing nothing but going through the motions. Uh, I found myself living life up in the world, doing whatever the flesh wants to do, uh, and, and just thinking I had uh, the life by the tail. Uh, and you know what? I, I, everything on the outside may have looked together. 18-year-old, I had a brand new mobile home. I, 98, and, uh, in the year of 98, I was driving a truck that was three-year-old, paying my own bills uh, had it all together as what I felt like uh, but you know what I didn't have together I didn't have my relationship with God together uh, and one time one night uh, sitting there by myself which didn't happen very often because I always had company uh, I was sitting there in the chair in my living room uh, and the Lord began to move upon my heart uh, I slid out of the chair onto my knees uh, and God the Holy Spirit broke me uh, I fell on my face uh, and crawled like a baby and said God uh, I don't know what it is, but if you'll still have me, I will serve you. You ask my dad today, and he'd say, I'd be the last one that would be up here preaching. You know what happened? I had an intervention with a person of the Holy Ghost that changed my life, a divine experience of God. I'll never get away with it. It can't never get out of my mind, out of my heart. I had a true experience. It's from 
got to go from the head to the heart, which is possible by proper faith. And the apostle Paul said, you know what? I just want to know him. I want to experience him over and over. If you've experienced him once, you're not done. You're not done. He's not done with you. Those special moments that I have by myself, if I'm in my barn, if I'm in my kitchen, wherever it may be, those are priceless. Money can't buy those moments. Money can't do that for me. The world can't give me the peace and joy that God can fill my heart with. It's a true experience that I may know Him. Now, he says this, the power of His resurrection. It speaks of the newness of life. I've made this statement several times before, but I'm going to make it again. God never raises up what He buries. He'll bury a drug addict and raise you up sober. He'll bury an alcoholic and raise them up delivered. He'll bury a liar and raise them up telling the truth. He'll he'll bury an adulterer and raise them up as somebody that is faithful. I want you to know God does not raise up what He buries. He buries because that's the old man, the dead man that we don't want to see anymore. And He raises up somebody in the newness of life that we may have that new life with Jesus Christ. God took Abraham, a stranger, made him the father of all faith. He took Moses, a murderer, and turned him into a great deliverer. He took a little shepherd boy, turned him into the greatest king that Israel would ever see. He took mere fishermen, a politician, a tax collector, and turned them into disciples. He never raises up what he buries. Today, I look around because I know you, I know a I know most of you, I know details about your life because you've shared them than we and we've talked. And you know what? I see former drug addicts in our midst today. I see former alcoholics. I see those that have suffered abuse as a child. Those that are outcast. Those that were the good old boy that thought they had all together. Those that were hated. I could go on and on and on. But as I look around, you know what I see? I see people. That God has raised up in the newness of life. Your past is fading away because of what God is doing in your heart and in your life. Paul said that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. You know what the power of his resurrection is? The power of his resurrection is I once was but I no longer am. I see godly dads. I see godly mothers today. I see those that are involved in ministry, those that are making a positive impact for Jesus Christ. I see good things that the Lord has done because of the power of His resurrection. I want you to know that your past does not define you because God's plans for you and your future are a whole lot greater than what your past is. Resurrection life is so much greater. Now here's... Or most reject. I, I'll give you an opportunity to shout. If you didn't take that opportunity, you might have missed it. Here's where most reject. Paul said this. And the fellowship of his sufferings. The fellowship of his sufferings. Fellowship here. When we talk about fellowship, means to participate. Is anybody jumping in line to participate in the sufferings of Christ? So why would he say that? The fellowship of his sufferings? The word sufferings here is hardship. It literally means, Paul says that I may participate in his hardship. 
The desire of God to draw us closer and closer to Him is there, and that's what He wants. Is to draw you closer today than what you was yesterday. His process is to allow, listen, trial, tribulation to tempt us, to push us, to bring us to a place we will pray. Because we really pray when things are not really good. To bring us to a place that we will pray. And through the trial, through the tribulation, that we may be humbled and begin to rely upon Jesus Christ more and more and more. I've used this example before, but I'm going to use it again as a child. If I was ever as a, just a young boy playing in my yard, and my dad is sitting on the front porch, and a big mean dog comes running in my yard to attack me, you know where I'm going? I'm going to go straight to my dad. Because if I get to my dad, and I know that he's going to fight that dog. I may not know exactly what happened. And you know what dad's going to do? He's not going to run. He's going to take the bite. He's going to take the cut. He's going to take whatever it is. But what he's not going to do is allow that dog to get to me. The trial, the tribulation is meant to make us run to our Heavenly Father. And when you get to your Heavenly Father, you don't really have to worry about what's going to go on because I put my faith and my trust in one that has never failed me. You need to understand the trial, the tribulation is not meant to kill you. It's not meant to destroy you. It's not meant to make you want to throw in the towel. It is meant to push you and make you run to Jesus. And so, this is the point right here where Christianity loses most people. I can tell you this, and many others will also. Though the trial is not enjoyable, I've had people tell me, well, I don't like that. Well, I don't like it either. But it's God's way. Though the trial is not that enjoyable, I want you to listen. I haven't talked to a believer yet. I haven't talked to a believer yet that has been through the fire and wouldn't tell you that they would not, they would not trade their experience of what they learned for anything in, in the world. I don't want to go through it again. But what I learned, how I learned that God would be faithful and that I could depend upon Him, I won't trade that for anything in the world. Sister Megan, would you trade it? Brother Jeff, would you trade it? For nothing in the world. Well, we trade it because it was through the fire that I truly learned the faithfulness of God and what God would do for me. Being made conformable unto his death. This is where I want to be. The word conformable really is just here in the New Testament one time. He does use the word conformed and it has the same meaning in the book of Romans in 8.29. I want to look at that real quickly. Romans 8 and 29 and we'll bounce right back to this Philippians. But Paul writing Romans here also, he says this, Romans 8 and 29. For whom did he foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among the brethren. He predestinated, uh, he also did predestinate and he got to be conformed. In other words, Predestinate, don't, don't get that misunderstood. It's not predestinate as some teach. It doesn't mean that at all. That some, when you were born, they were predestinated to go to heaven and some were predestinated to go to hell. That is hogwash. That doesn't what the Bible teaches at all. But what this does mean is God's 
will was predestinated. His will for everybody, everybody that will be ever born is this. His will is for us to be conformed to the image of His Son. Not just His will for us to know Jesus, but His will for us to be conformed unto the image of His Son. The word conformed there means to be jointly formed together, to be jointly formed or to render to. I've got to join myself to Christ. And I've got to render my will unto Him. He didn't, uh, not just to know Him, but be conformed unto Him. And that's what His will is, for us to render our heart to Him. Now we'll go back to Philippians. His will. And Paul in Philippians is claiming because this is His will, this is what I want. I know, I ain't gave you much room to shout this morning, but think about that. The Apostle Paul says, you know what? Because this is his will, then that's what I want. If this is his will, then that's what I want. Paul, Hebrew of Hebrews, of the tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on the eighth day, more zealous about the law than anybody, bringing him up to be the next man, the leader of the law. And he says, you know what? God's will for me is to lay all that aside and be conformed to his death. If this is his will, then that's what I want. I want to know him. I want to know the power of his resurrection. I want to fellowship with his sufferings. And I want to be conformed unto his death. Why? Because this was the will of God. Here's what we got to understand. This is where we lose a lot of believers. Because proper Christianity is that we prefer his will. We accept him as Savior. Then we surrender our life, our will to His. Because again, a proof. You say you're a believer? Then I'll see God change your life. You say you're a Christian? Then I'll see the light of Christ shine through you. Well, I'm not perfect. Well, guess what? I'm not either. But if there's not evidence of us being changed... Then have we accepted him as Savior? And are we preferring his will over our will? I want to prove to you, watch this. This is where we lose a lot of believers. We want Jesus. We want to go to heaven. But I don't want my style crimped. I don't want my life changed to where I have to submit to the will of God. I want to take you this morning to Matthew chapter 16. I want you to see this, verses 13 through 26. Now, I want you to watch the scripture very closely. It's not complicated. I just want you to understand, and I'll, I'll leave you with this this morning. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I the Son of Man am. Now put yourself in this place. They're sitting with Jesus. And he looks at them and he says, I want to know what y'all are hearing. Who do men say that I am? And he goes on, verse number 14. They said, some say that thou art John the Baptist. Some Elijah, which is Elijah. Others, Jeremiah or Jeremiah, or one of the prophets, ranking him up pretty high. They didn't know really where to put him yet. 
But they put him with one of the prophets. And he said unto them, But who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter spoke up among all of them. Before anybody could say anything, he answered and said, Thou art the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. Think about that. Openly in front of all the disciples, Peter stands up and says, You're the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. Possibly all of them were thinking it already of a surety that this man is the Son of God. But Peter vocally says it. You are the Christ. You're the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father, which is in heaven. He had an experience sometime. He had a revelation from God that says, This is my Son. Watch this. And I say also unto you, Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now I want you to think about something. Think about what Peter's thinking right now. Of all of the disciples, 12 of them sitting there, all of a sudden Peter stands up and Jesus applauds him. Blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah. All of them are looking at him now as a leader. Are you with me? They're looking at him as a leader. And then he commends him greater. Blessed are you, Peter. His name means rock. And literally it was just a fragment of the rock because it would be upon, go back to that verse, it would be upon Jesus, the true rock, that he would build his church, not upon Peter. And he says, can you go back to it please for me? Flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. Watch this. All of the disciples know now of a surety Peter has had an experience with God. He's had a revelation with God. He pointed him out. Look at Peter. He's, he's had a true revelation of God. And go on verse number 19. <coughs> I'm going to give to you the keys of the kingdom. Whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. He's still talking to Peter. Not just for Peter, but for all believers. He's talking to Peter. Look at the authority that he just gave to Peter. Whatever you bind, I'm going to bind. Whatever you loose, I'm going to loose. Then he goes on, verse number 20. Then he charged his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus Christ. Just yet, don't tell nobody. Peter's all, are you with me? You're probably thinking Peter's puffed up. He's feeling pretty high right now. He's on cloud nine. He charged his disciples, don't tell no man. Verse number 21. From that time forth, begin Jesus to show his disciples how that he got to go to Jerusalem must suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed, his death, and be raised again on the third day. Verse number 22, Peter took him. Peter took him. Could have laid a hold on him. Peter took him and he rebuked him. Can you imagine? He rebuked Christ. To rebuke literally means to stop him. He's stopping Christ from teaching. Talking about, that ain't even bold, that's ignorant. <laughs> he shuts Christ up. He rebukes him. Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee in front of all the disciples because he's so puffed up right now. Be it far, what be far from thee? Back up to verse number 21. What is he saying, be far from thee? 
He's saying this, from that time forth, Jesus began to show his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders, chief priests, scribes, be killed and raised again on the third day. In other words, he's saying this, he's telling them, I will go, I will be mocked, I will be ridiculed, my beard will be plucked, I will have a crown of thorns, they will rip my uh, robe off of me, they will take me to a whipping post, they will beat me, I then will be mocked again in front of the people, they'll lay a cross on me, I will head up Galgotha's hill to my death, I will die, but on the third day I'll be raised again. That's what he's saying, and Peter's saying, Lord, put all of them thoughts far away from you, it's not going to happen. Verse number 22. Be far from thee, verse number 23, please. I'm sorry. He turned again. And he turned and said unto Peter. Talking about letting the air out of your balloon. Get thee behind me, Satan. You are an offense unto me. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those things that be of man. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. Oh, it gets better. Hang on. It gets better. Don't shout me down right now. Look at verse 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Verse number 25, and I'll put this together. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. In verse 26, I'll stop there. For what has a man profited if you gain the whole world and lose your soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? So here's where we're at. Peter, blessed are you. You're blessed, Peter. Above all, you're blessed. Yeah, yeah, I am. Bring it on, Lord. Butter me up. You're blessed. I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom, Peter. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to get the keys. Whatever you loose, I'm going to loose. Whatever you bind, I'm going to bind. But I got to tell you all something. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to, I'm going to suffer many things of them, the chief priest, and it's going to lead to my death. And Peter, put that thought away from you. Hush. Put it far from you. It will not happen. And then he takes the pen out and pops his balloon real quick. Huh. Get behind me, Satan. You know what Peter wanted? Peter wanted Jesus. He wanted to be associated with Jesus. But he didn't want to be conformable unto his death. And you know what Christ's reply to those that didn't want to be conformable unto his death? He says, you're an offense to me. You're an offense. I feel the spirit of the Lord this morning. You're an offense. Why is it an offense? Because Paul said, it's his will. I've been predestined to be conformed unto his will. Peter wanted to walk with him. He wanted to be in the group while Christ buttered him up and puffed him up. He wanted to be the one that was center of attention. Oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. Yeah. Jesus said, well, I'm going to have to die. Nope, put it from you. You're an offense to me. So I got to say this morning, it's God's will for us to accept Christ as Savior. It's also his will to be conformed unto his death. And to those that want him as Savior and just want to go to heaven but don't want to be conformed unto his death, I'll put me in the mix. Because if I'm in that condition, I'm an offense to God. I'm an offense to God. Me and Pastor Brian, we were talking yesterday. 
brought up the subject how that a person claims to be a believer, claims to be a Christian, but living like the world. That's the greatest tool that the devil's got. It's the greatest tool that the enemy has got. The moment Jesus talks of his death, Peter was out. He was offense unto God. Oh, this morning, I know it's not normal. We haven't shouted the house down this morning. But I just come to ask you, if you know Jesus, you know Wednesday night we were on the subject of worshiping in spirit and in truth. When Jesus sat down at the woman at the well, sat down and she began to tell him where she worshiped. We worship in the mountain. My forefathers did. And Jesus said, you don't even know what you worship. You don't even know what you worship. She was talking about a place and Jesus was talking about a person. And if we truly have had an experience with God, our desire will be to follow after the will of God. And God's will for us is not to just know who he is, but be conformed unto his death. So I ask you this morning as Brother Jeff is coming, I'm not going to question your salvation. I'm not going to question your relationship with God. Just a heart question. I think if Peter could make that mistake, it was probably a mistake that anybody could make. So my heart question is this. You know who Jesus is? Are you being conformed unto his death, which literally means are we being fashioned? Are we dying to self and self-desires and self-will? Because if any man is going to follow after Christ, let him first deny himself. We must deny ourselves, our own will. Question, and I'm going to let the Lord do whatever he does. Are you being conformed unto his death? Would you stand with me? Father, I love you this morning. I thank you, God, for your grace and for your mercy and for your love. God, I thank you this morning. This is not a condemnation message. It's a message that says, Lord, I thank you that you've not ever given up on me. I thank you, God, that you've got a perfect will for my life. And I thank you, Lord, that all you desire is to perform that will through me, Lord. God, there are many that have a head knowledge of Christ. Many that may even know without a doubt that he is the son of God. But have we moved on to allowing you to conform us to your will, conform us to your death, where we are are dying to self and allowing the Holy Spirit to have his perfect work to lead us and to guide us and to direct us, Lord. God, this world will soon fade away. But if we gain the world before our time has come, we've gained nothing if we've lost our soul. I ask in the name of Jesus Christ that you would move upon the hearts of your people. Am I being conformed unto your will? Am I being conformed unto your death? In the name of Jesus, we ask it this morning. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to give a general altar call. 
We're not here this morning to question your salvation. I'm not here this morning to point fingers. I'm not here to judge why you would or wouldn't come to an altar or find yourself a place to pray. But I am here this morning to be a voice. I feel the Lord moved me in this direction yesterday to present the question, are we being conformed unto His death? And as you allow the Holy Spirit to ask you that question, if we see reason that we need to repent, reason that we need to say, God, forgive me. I know who you are, but I'm really not letting you work in my life. Or maybe we need to come and say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. I'm not in right relationship. Or maybe it's something else. I want to make sure that I give you opportunity this morning to come to an altar and to pray, to ask God to conform you unto His will. Unlike our will, and unto His will, denying self and dying to the flesh, the desires of the flesh. This morning, if that's for you, would you come this morning? Would you come? Come on, would you come? Come on, would you come? Are you being conformed? Unto his death. Are you being conformed unto his will? Come on, would you come? Now's the time. Now's the time. You shouldn't wait. You shouldn't tarry. When the truth's presented, that's the time that you say, God, here am I. You spoke to my heart. You moved up on my heart. And I prefer your will this morning. Come on, would you come? Others are still coming as he's playing this morning. Come on, would you come today? Would you find yourself a place to pray? Maybe you want to kneel right where you're at, but we need to take some time and call out to the Lord. If you've got no other reason, your reason ought to be God. Help me to be in your will. Help me to be pliable. Help me to deny the flesh, Lord, and to allow you to work in my life today. Come on, would you find yourself a place to pray? Come on, I've not left anybody out this morning. Let's call upon the name of the Lord today and ask God to help us to be conformable unto his will today. Would you sing something, please, Brother Jeff? I am thine, O Lord, and I've heard thy voice and it's all thy love. If you are blessed by this message, you can find us on Facebook at Faith Worship Center, Porsche, Arkansas. Our contact for prayer or donations is by mail Faith Worship Center, P.O. Box 296, Porsche, Arkansas, 72457. Through Messenger or PayPal, you can find that link on Facebook also. Thank you and God bless you and your family.